I'm Nana. And I'm Monkeo. And this is African.American. This is a show about children of African immigrants and African immigrants as well. Yes, Bonquillo, living in the United States. You also see the face she's making at me again. Forever <laughs> until the end of this season. That's how I'll be making my face at you. Because what you are doing doesn't make sense. It, you it went makes- and lengthened this thing. I didn't this lengthen thing. it. It makes sense because I want the, to include the children immigrants, uh, what, the what child of African so immigrants. They- this is a show about the children of African immigrants growing up in America. African immigrants living in the United States. <laughs> actually, our topic today is actually a bit, it's a bit serious. We're going to be talking about female circumcision. So trigger warning for those of you out there that serious topics, serious issues, uh, probably not appropriate for children because of the vocabulary that we'll be using. Uh, So female circumcision, also known as female genital mutilation, potato, potato, which is also the name of a Nollywood movie. Okay, I'm trying to make it lighthearted a little bit. Um, Pretty decent one. It's basically a procedure that's done usually on women and young girls. There's four types, four major types. Type one is the partial or total removal of the clitoral glands, which are the external and visible part of the clitoris which is a sensitive part of the female genitals, and or the prepuce or clitoral hood, the fold of skin surrounding the clitoral glands. So for those of you who can't quite vision it, Google. Google will help you to see what we are talking about. Type 2 is partial or total removal of the clitoral glands and the labia minora, so the inner folds of the vulva, the lips, uh, with or without removal of the labia majora, the outer folds, so the outer lips. So Sounds so painful, man. I mean, it's removal of anytime you're removing body parts. Type three, arguably the most painful one, is the narrowing of the vaginal opening through creation of a covering seal. The seal is formed basically by cutting and repositioning the labia minora or labia majora, sometimes through stitching with or without removal of the clitoral prepuce slash clitoral hood and glands. It's basically kind of like gutting everything and sewing it up together to make one small, tight hole. And type four is more a general category for any other harmful procedures to the female genitalia for non-medical purposes, pricking, piercing, incising, scraping, catheterizing the genital area. There's also deinfibulation, which is the practice of cutting open the sealed vaginal opening of a woman who has been infibulated, type three, Mm-hmm. which is often necessary for improving health and well-being as well as to allow intercourse or to facilitate childbirth. So the hard part about type three, which is the one where you, they kind of cut everything out and sew yeah. it together, is that once the person reaches the age of intercourse and childbearing, it's even more issues because there's a lot of scar tissue there and you're constantly ripping at it. And How interesting that one of the reasons why folks say they do it is to facilitate childbearing, make it easier. Uh, it's really, I mean, it's interesting because it facilitates the pleasure of the man, I guess, because it's yeah. a... It, tighter space for them to fit into but i don't know how it i mean people have all kinds of reasons for doing it but we we definitely wanted to talk about it today because um in terms of places practice it's practice all around the world Um, more than 200 women and girls go through this um, according to the un or according to uh, a report by unicef Uh, in the next decade there's still 30 million more who are at risk of being 
of wow. getting circumcised. And um, it's practiced in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, they say, but Egypt, Ethiopia, Nigeria, and Sudan account for 42% of all cases. What's interesting is they don't list Somalia here, but FYI, Somalia and Sudan are two of the places where type 3, which is the most stringent form, is practiced. So that's also, I think, important to note. Um, and we'll be kind of talking about that a little bit in our and later on. It's also practiced in the U.S. as well. Right. It's practiced in the U.S. because these communities are in diaspora. (laughs) And people, you know, there are all kinds of laws and things that happen when people do things like either send their their daughters back home to get it done or try and get the procedure done in the U.S. It is something that's a lot of times I think shown as to be a like black practice. Mm. But like I said, it's practiced all around the world. It's practiced in Asia. There, I mean, different levels of it. I would say I know that like in Malaysia and Indonesia, it is so uh, what's the easiest way to say it? So there are basically four schools of Islamic thought mm-hmm. or four main uh, I don't know what you want to, Methebs, they're kind of kind of like sex, so like kind of like the Presbyterians, the Baptists, the Episcopalians, yeah. and, uh, and there's one school, the Shafi'i school, where it's actually, I don't know if it is, now my mom getting a little fuzzy, whether it, I think it's, it's mandatory. Um, and so what countries like Malaysia and Indonesia, which fall under, that's the school that they fall under, do is they often have it, they do type one which is basically done in hospitals. It's often done when the baby girl is like new and it's like a pinprick. It's more of a like ceremonial and then go. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, it's not, I think it's often seen as an Islamic thing and it's not because it's practiced in Christian communities. You look at Egypt, it's it's Muslim, Christian, Ethiopia, same thing. Uh, I'd say cultural rather than a, it is very much a cultural thing, but people use their religion in different ways to mandate it yeah um and so like that's something that's important i think to call out what's interesting too is that in sudan and somalia what they do is what people call for type three is also kind of called the pharaonic version mm-hmm. i don't know i guess because in ancient egypt that was something that they did and because that region is kind of like either was part of like ancient Egyptian civilizations or and or very mm. close to them, mm. it is, I mean, it seems like it's a holdover from that. And it's just something that people have been doing. Yeah. And then it, it, it becomes something new. Before we move on, let's clarify. Are we using, are we saying FGM or female, female genital cutting? Uh, I personally say female genital circumcision Okay. because I think that the word mutilation is a very heavy word. And I think that the people, oftentimes it's used in the context of these people are so barbaric. And I think think that mutilation kind of expresses the gravity of, of, I think that if I want to change something, Mm. And I know that there is all this religious and cultural context for why people are doing it. I need to be careful about the words that I use for it because I am still an outsider looking in. Um, And as someone who ostensibly we all do, if we really think about it, 200 million people around the world have this. You know people who have had it done. I don't think they are mutilated humans. It's something that 
I don't agree with. It's something that I want to make abolished. But I think that the way you do it is not by making people putting people on the offensive by saying mutilation. Yeah. Well, stigmatizing um, them or exactly. you know, stigmatizing them. them. Yeah. Exactly. You really have to look at people's motivations. So yeah. like, I guess that's the next thing we know. Why do people do this? People do this a lot of times because they believe it's a religious uh, right. They believe it's a cultural mandate. And because there are actual socioeconomic effects of not having it done. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times families are doing it because uh, certain communities, a woman can't get married if she doesn't have it done. Have it done yeah. Now, that's problematic, but the, the answer to that is creating economic opportunities for women. For so men, marriage yeah. is the only thing that can keep them surviving. But if yeah. you're in like a pastoral society or you're living in a agricultural society in a village somewhere, like this is the reality on the ground. If this is what's seen as making someone beautiful, then people will do it. I've also heard of it as, I think you mentioned this before, but as a, by doing it, you're actually helping things to pleasure your man. They believe that the woman is more hygienic by doing it. Yeah, they do. They Um, say things like, if you don't cut the clitoris off, it's going to grow into like a penis or like an elephant shrug. Obviously, these are old wives tales that don't actually, that that aren't actually true. Um, so yeah, it's 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 like highlighting the man's pleasure, but also yeah. wanting to deny the woman hers, so that she doesn't go and have uh, yeah, so she's not promiscu- promiscuous promiscuous before or after marriage, or so the idea goes. We're always defined by the male body. Women. Yeah, it's patriarchy, babe. And the other thing that's interesting <laughs> about it, though, it's that um, so I in grad school I, I went to a few presentations by a woman who really focused on this, and she, um, particularly in a community, the South Sudanese community, where it's, it's a thing. Practice, it yeah. is, it's practiced pretty widely. She said some interesting things that, like you know, like these women still know what things like orgasms are. It is. I think, again, coming back to this female genital circumcision versus mutilation, what is it? Because the idea is like mutilation, you've removed everything. They can't they can't function sexually anymore. They're just vessels. Um, she was like, no, some of the women, they're like, I know what one is. And they kind of like are able to explain it to her. Um, I think what I, I think that her main takeaway from that was just that like our understanding of what happens mm-hmm. when you have this procedure is not a hundred percent complete mm-hmm. because we oftentimes just go, oh, they're mutilated. <laughs> Life's over for them. There's yeah. nothing. Yeah, there, there's nothing else there, and it's not quite um, the case. Not that it's great to do, um, but because there are no real health benefits of this. So to be clear. Whether you're doing it to be hygienic, whether you're doing it to help someone in childbirth, you're actually not. You're actually just putting that woman's life at risk because it's an unnecessary medical procedure that is often done in unhygienic spaces. Ooh, so that's a lot. <laughs> I was actually, you know, speaking of where it's practiced, I was looking this up a little bit and I- Apparently, I think it was last month, a young Egyptian girl passed away mm. um, because they, they performed this procedure on her. It was actually done in a hospital. Her parents took her in and they, they had it done and she passed away. And there are a lot of issues with Egyptian law because Egyptian law 
um, bans it. a loop. They ban it, but there is a loophole that allows physicians and families to do this and go unpunished. What you you basically have to say is that you're cutting to protect the girl. Yes, um, and so if you do that, you get away with it. Activists have been you know fighting back against this loophole to for Egypt to kind of change the law a little bit and yeah, because yeah, you're state. allowing it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How many more yeah. people have to die? How many yeah. more girls and women have to die before we yeah. let go of these <sighs> traditions that go ahead. Yeah, I know I just it's it's just more of like a general comment on, on our culture. How many more people have to die before we let go of traditions that no longer fulfill a purpose? Yeah. I mean, we even have this issue, the same issue in, in the U.S. In 2017, there were two doctors who, two American doctors who, Michigan doctors from the state of Michigan, they were charged with performing the custom on two seven-year-olds. And they're, they're, apparently the FBI had been watching their clinic for a while now. They were charged with federal crimes because it's federally outlawed in the United States. The case specifically is very interesting and quite groundbreaking because after they were charged, a, a in 2018, a judge actually dismissed almost all of the charges against the doctors and ruled that federal female genital mutilation is the law is unconstitutional because Why? Congress because Congress overstepped. Congress doesn't have the right to criminalize the practice since it's local criminal activity. So it should be state. Um, the state should actually have jurisdiction. And you know. the very interesting thing is the DOJ said that the, the law was too weak for them to appeal. <laughs> they didn't appeal this. Uh-huh. And Congress has actually since tried to step in to defend it. And Another federal judge said they can't do that because it's, again, congressional overreach. I'm so confused. It just seems really strange. Like, I mean, I get it. There's so many things that fall by the wayside because of technicalities, technical Mm -hmm. loopholes and things like that. And it just makes me um, it's really sad. And I think it's one of those things, though, that highlight how in the US we think that we have these laws and we think we're so much Precisely. better. Yes. And, you know, and the other thing I think about tangentially related is child marriage. We have all yes. these, you know, you talk yeah. about country X, Y, and Z, but you know what those countries at the very least have? A minimum age for marriage, yeah. Um, yeah. which we don't have in many states. The and states, we yeah. regularly have 12 and 13 year olds being married to their rapists and other kinds of things because those kinds of laws are not on the books. Um, Incidentally, only speaking of only about, I think a little bit over 30, I want to say 35, 32, 35 was what I was seeing of the states actually have laws on their books that prohibit um, female genital circumcision. So, about 15 or so states don't have anything on their books. Apparently, Wyoming, even just this past week, finally passed a law. Apparently, they had something on their books, but it wasn't as strict. It was attached to sexual trafficking. Um, and so they removed all of that language from it, and they passed a more stringent law, basically making it illegal. I mean, at the very least, we'd want to make sure that it's not happening on U.S. soil. I know in the U.K. it's outlawed, but parents routinely still just send their daughters back home for a summer and they get it done. And then, like, you may or may not find out about it. I mean, I'm guessing you'd find out about it if they go to the doctor for something and they're like, you know, she doesn't, you know, this 
this this doesn't look like X, Y, and Z, but I'm sure people find ways to get around it. The next piece then is really talking about the laws and even how we talk about this issue. It comes back to this idea of like, how do we really root it out? And I really want to talk about um, an Ethiopian activist who was recognized for her work in this space. Her name is Bogal. Bogalech Gebre, please forgive me for messing up this Ethiopian name. And the organization is called Kembati Menti Gizima Tope. Um, the organization's name translates as Kembati Women Start Together. And basically, she got this award because of, I mean, she's been working in this field and her approach has been unique in that she focuses on not ostracizing people or demonizing people for com- mm-hmm. for for doing this but and has said like you know the principle behind her organization is that they don't go into rural areas and tell people what to do because that's not mm-hmm. going to work right, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. instead they have conversations with community leaders join together and reach consensus on issues that impact the community so you go to community leaders and you say hey this is a thing these are the you know these are the negative aspects of it you know, HIV AIDS spreading, you know, because of the, you know, of how clean or unclean the medical procedures are. These are all the reasons why we shouldn't do this. How about you all as our community leaders decide that this is not the way to go. And you get so much more. She has been successful and you get more buy-in when you're coming to that community with respect and Mm. you're using its own structures as opposed to what a lot of Western organizations do when it comes to anything, they go in and they say, we want to ban this. Yeah. You're awful. You're horrible. This is a disgusting practice. This is the, this is unhuman. This is inhumane. This is this, this is that. And you really do catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. I think that there is something to be said for taking a stand on something and being Mm -hmm. against it. And I do think it's it's hard because I think my own moral compass or my own moral line differs on things. Like if we were talking about something like child pornography or child sexual abuse, well, I I guess this is a form of child sexual abuse, but you know what I mean. Mm. Um, I would not be like, well, let's go to the community and, you know what I mean? Like, no, no, we just need to have a hard stand. I think when you're talking about things that families are doing openly as part of an active cultural practice Mm -hmm. it's often easier to come at them and say you're doing this out in the open i'm telling you the pros and cons of what's happening out in the open i'm making a compelling case to you that you're actually harming your children who i know you love you're doing this because you love them same thing with child marriage right it's it it's not enough to ban it because people still do it it's you have to go you have to work with the community and you have to also root out the underlying reasons for why it happens and a lot of this comes back to social and economic empowerment of women mm-hmm. if mothers have resources then they can raise their children knowing i don't have to circumcise my daughter so she can get a man because she won't survive out here <laughs> or because our family want the family won't survive without the like goats or cows or whatever they get for the bride price mm-hmm. um, i just i just really like that this is an approach that is respectful of that local community. Yeah. It's an approach from someone within the community who understands it, which a lot of times we don't have. We just have, a lot of times we have this slash and burn. We have our beliefs of this is not good. And we just try to, you know, walk in and, there. And, and we just walk them, in you know, there hey. yeah, and tell them and they go, 
okay, thanks for the money, but we're going to keep doing what we do because you don't. Okay, white man. Right. And then, you know, they might do a little jig or do a little dance for you while you're there to get your money. And then they're going to go back to do their life. I mean, about a lot of things. (laughs) I'm laughing because that's what always happens. Right. There's a lot of cow towing, but we're not doing it's not happening because, you know, it's 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 I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but, you know, it's like those people. Remember, there was a there was a time when this there was like white girl who wrote about how she became a Maasai warrior and people are like, shut up. I think what people Westerners don't understand about African communities is that we'll be very nice to you, but we're not necessarily polite. We're polite. (laughs) And if you want to pay me a few thousand dollars to hold a spear and, you know, jump over those rocks and I'll tell you that that's the Maasai royal process and you leave happy, I leave happy. Like that happens quite a bit. Yeah. Um. And people don't really get that. Or when you go and, you know, I mean, I've seen that even in, you know, in Arab places where I've studied abroad with people, people are like, oh, he told me I'm the light of his eyes. I'm like, girl, that is an Amar Diab song from like 19, maybe Nuralain. He's not telling you anything special. Way to make the girl not feel special. Well, I'm just saying, you need those things to like really. You're not special. Our cultural context, and we know why we're doing it. And you are you're you're getting this kind of treatment because you have something that we want, but we're not changing anything inside. I want you to be my 90 day fiance, and that blue password that you have automatically makes you a 10 out of 10. So. You'll be the light of my eyes. You'll be the love of my soul. That's another Habib, the love of my heart. Habib Elbi, Habib Ruhi. Like all this stuff is like basic things that you find in any Arab pop song. Stop falling for that stuff. Just. (laughs) (laughs) You actually go off on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just this idea of like respect. If you don't come to these communities with respect, you're coming to them with this idea that you are better than yeah but you're not saying that right you're not articulating that and trust me these communities are also coming at you with how can we get what we want to get out of them and if they want to take this idea away if they want to you know write a medium post about how awesome they are and how they were accepted we'll do that yeah but at the end of the day like you're not you're not a Maasai warrior. At the end of the day, you're not, you do not have complete understanding of the social and political circumstances that bring certain things to pass. I think that's what I'm really talking about. Like a lot yeah. of Western organizations go in and they don't really understand what's on the ground. They go in with their point of view and with how they think things should happen. And then the work that they're trying to do doesn't go as far as it should go because the assumptions that you made off off the bat yeah. were bad were not the right assumptions to be we tend to do that a lot we tend to do that a lot and a, a lot of times you end up actually alienating the very community they'll be nice to you but you end up alienating them and losing them yeah um, you'll never you, you haven't convinced them of anything you yeah. just put a stamp on top and that's that's with anything right it's yeah. like drugs we can make bans on them but until we address why people become a you know become drug users and abusers yeah or the economic factors that make like selling it the most uh, you know sometimes for some towns in and out of the u.s it's the only option obviously we're not doing it 
obviously I'm not going to, you know, that's not a cult. We, we already had an episode on cultural practices we want to leave behind. I think that this one is one I would love to see most Black African dot Americans yeah, leave it. As you say that there are some Afri- African cultures that practice the whole kind of coming out party for young girls. That's and they, 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 do they, they don't go... But a lot of them, some of them don't go as Mm -hmm. far as cutting. I mean, I think in the past that happened, but now they've removed that whole component. Like no one is saying that get rid of your cultural, you know, your cultural practice, your cultural belief, but don't make it dangerous. Modernize it. Modernize it. Yeah. And I mean, you can still, it's kind of like the idea of a quinceanera, right? Like maybe in the past... Uh, a 15 year old was like ready for marriage right yeah. pretty much that's what like womanhood kind of meant but like that's not necessarily what it means now right and it's still yeah. a beautiful cultural practice that people have that young girls grow up looking forward to yeah and they don't die from it mm-hmm. right um from the well most i don't know i guess you could die for, you, you could you could but like circumstances yeah yeah so I think, yeah, that's a really good point to make, too. And that, I think, is some of the things that this Ethiopian organization does as well. Trying to do, yeah. Is like, yeah, let's keep the good parts of the culture, the beautiful parts, the rich parts. Yeah. But let's, let's, let's walk away from these things that are riskier and that actually hurt us. Yeah. Um, so kudos to them for making it happen. Fighting the good fight in different countries. I hope that we can get more doing that in different places around the world <laughs> where it is where it's needed. Uh, it makes me remember that there was some brouhaha over the first lady of Sierra Leone because she... Oh, I remember that. They frame her as like saying that like <laughs> it's great. But I think she... But again, it comes... It's this, It's the same thing of like come to people with respect for their culture yeah and if it's like you know they came at her as kind of like won't you denounce female genital mutilation today right now and she's like yeah people say there's all these negative effects i personally haven't felt that in my life yeah i think that that is of course a statement like that is probably more harmful to the cause of trying to stop being harmful to the cause of trying to stopping the spread of it if what i said just makes sense Mm -hmm. but if you want to stomp it out in Sierra Leone, you have to go to people like that differently. I can guarantee you that because she said that, if and when she goes into such communities, I mean, they don't look at her as, oh, she's here to, she has more of more she, power. In her, yeah, yeah. there's more power in whatever she says. Yeah. And so you've sort of like, in a way, lost the warrior a potential warrior for your cause because yeah. you want to jump at it in this way and get, you know, headlines or whatever it is that you're looking for. So, mm-hmm. you know, moral of the story is that this is something that affects hundreds of millions, uh, has already affected hundreds of millions of people. And it may be happening in your neighborhood, in your it backyard. Could be in your neighborhood. You don't know what friends you, or family you have. Those of you who are African.Americans, a lot of your aunties and so and so's are not going to talk about it, but they have it done. It was, you know, the 50s and 60s, that was the time. And so it's just really important to think about how we want to address this going forward. Yeah. The estimates are 30 million people are going to have this done in the next 10 years. I would hope that, you know, we are all more cognizant of it and don't do it. 
It's, but, it's all very interesting because, like, thinking back to the points in time in which I think it was in college that it, it kept coming up a lot. It was always billed as kind of a problem for the others, for others, and not problems that are happening in the United or things that are happening in the United States mm-hmm. or in Western countries. And that's interesting when it comes to approach and kind of talking about these things because if somebody has even had it done, as you mentioned, your aunties we have had it done, they wouldn't feel comfortable talking about it because of nope, course. Nope. Nope, nope. Aunties don't really feel comfortable talking about anything related to sex yeah. and sexuality. Yeah. Go and clean your thing. <laughs> the thing. Your thing. Right? <laughs> we, we use, you know, your poom poom, whatever it is. Like, I, don't you do it yourself? Too oh, long. yeah, that's true. So if you're like giving your little cousin a bath or whatever, you're like, you make sure you clean your stuff. <laughs> make sure it's fresh. <laughs> I trust myself that, doing that all the time. I'm just like, oh my god, these kids yeah, know. No, that's like, just that's true. Things. But it's, I mean, well, maybe that's something that we can actually do. Like, and that's a bigger, that's related to a lot of things because, like, if you can have frank conversations about things, yeah. like what body parts are actually called, I think it helps. Number one, I know that that's something that people talk about in terms of like child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. People, children know the right language. If they grow up not feeling like I should be afraid, ashamed of my thing or my PP or whatever it is that, you know, the, whatever words you use, mm-hmm. then you can kind of create an atmosphere where they feel more comfortable, comfortable coming talking. to you. They're not afraid to say, yeah. hey, you know, this this happened to me. This person did that to me. That person did that to me, which is another problem mm-hmm. in a lot of communities mm-hmm. where people try and hide in the U.S. too, American. That's what, again. That's why you got child marriage, and you got thirteen-year-olds who are pregnant, and you are in some small, you know, not necessarily small town, but no, you're no, in no, some small towns, girl. You're in a community, and you got, and you, the parents decide that it is more, it's somehow less shameful to force this child to get married to, you know, a grown-ass man or a grown-ass woman, but usually a grown-ass mm-hmm. man, than it is to deal with what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, and we see that in some other communities too, the Amish community, all these articles coming out about how rampant sexual abuse is there, Jehovah Witness community, about how we don't, people aren't, people are made to feel ashamed. Yeah. And if they're made to feel ashamed, you can't really, it's, it's just going to be harder to stomp these things out and hold yeah. people accountable when they are doing wrong and or convince people that, hey, there needs to be a paradigm shift in the culture. So that this stuff doesn't happen anymore. Get your own house in order. You know, do what you can to get your own house in order before you trying to like. Glass house too. Yeah. Yeah. Fix it. Reinforce it. Get some bulletproof glass. Um, <laughs> so that you can be in a space to go to your brother and be like, you are doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But oh, this was kind of hard to talk about. But it's um, takes you out of your comfort zone, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit, but it's important stuff that, you know, yeah. we don't really, you know, Africa is not all jollof rice and uh, couscous and, you know, <laughs> don't call it your pee-pee, like give the children, you know, empower your kids with the right language and really think about and try. But you can also have those conversations with individual family members and really, um because I think, too, like, yeah, your grandma's not going to go on a station and talk about her experience being circumcised, but she might talk to you about it yeah. and, you know, gain some perspective on, like, why it was done and why it should not be done anymore. Some food for thoughts, probably some things I need to go do and think about how I want to talk about those things, mm-hmm. um, both with, you know, future 
children and or you know just like people and you know kids in the community or whatever if there are other more serious topics that you want us to give our spin on or if you'd like to be a guest to talk about something serious not serious everything in between about your experiences at african.american let us know at african.american everything spelled out at gmail.com Go to our website, african.american.com. Let us know. Follow us on Instagram. On Facebook. And on Facebook at african.american. We're pretty easy to find. But let us know how you feel. Take a listen and be a part of the conversation. Thank you for listening. See you later. Yeah.